Have you ever dreamed of becoming an interior designer? You don't want to go back to university, you don't want to work for a large firm, but you just don't know how to get started. You want flexibility, you want to pursue your passion, and you want to make income. Well, you should definitely check out the Uploft Interior Design Academy. It's my proprietary program that I've used internally for years and have made available to the public. Not only do you get video modules that you can take at your own pace, but you also get one-on-one coaching sessions with me, group coaching sessions with our Facebook group of Academy students, and so much more. If you're interested, Get more information and sign up for an exploratory call with me at affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. Once again, that's affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. It's time to start living the life of your dreams. or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer. This is Affordable Interior Design, the podcast. Here's your host, Betsy Hellman. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to be joined today by Devin Kolka from the Kolka Group. Devin and I just recently met. We are both in a class together, a business class from Goldman Sachs. And so we're both entrepreneurs and we're in similar industries. So I thought that his perspective on the build industry would be really fascinating for the listeners. So Devin, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Betsy. So tell us a little bit about the Kolka Group. So my company is a commercial general contracting and construction management company now turned development as well been around for 46 years. My father started it. Uh, we build up and down the East Coast and uh, currently in Texas right now as well. And what projects are you primarily working on in terms of those construction projects? So we do a wide range of projects. Uh, we do a lot of ground up work ranging from hotels to apartment buildings. Uh, we do Uh, pharmaceutical work and manufacturing and distribution centers. Uh, But we also do smaller tenant fit outs. Uh, We do office work. We do retail work. We do everything, I like to say, from, you know, $100,000 to $100 million. Wow. Wow. And I know that it was your dad's business before you got involved. But what made you decide to join the family business? It's funny you ask that because for the longest time, I did not want to get in the family business. My father came from a generation where there was a lot of yelling in the industry. And I I would watch him and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that angry. And one day, one of my father's project managers looked me in the eye and said, but you don't have to manage that way. And the light bulb went off. And uh, I asked my father, will you hire me? And he said, no, Uh, but luckily he said, I'll get you a job with a subcontractor of mine. So worked uh, in a, in a, for a carpentry company for, for a few years. Uh, Finally, one of my dad's superintendents said, Jack, 
let the kid work under me. He's going to learn more from me. And I joined the company officially in 2012. Wow. Wow. Because, yeah, you always hear about how hard it is to kind of fold into the family business. You always hear about how kids may not want to continue the legacy. And so it's really refreshing to hear kind of a success story with that. Yeah, you know, I realized I had a great opportunity. My father built a a great brand, I like to say. He built the foundation, and now I'm building the building. Uh, But I love it. I, I loved working with my father. I learned a ton from him. And I love the fast pace of the industry. Well, you know, the funny thing is, we regularly design for small retail shops, you know, of course, people's apartments. But I don't know the first thing about what actually goes into constructing one of those places. We're not involved in that ground up kind of portion of the construction phase. So tell us what the commercial build industry, say for something like apartment buildings or retail shops, something that we might have more of a sense of in terms of this podcast. Tell me what that looks like. So you start off with putting together the team and that's going to consist of your architects, your engineers, your civil engineers, your MEP engineers, myself, and oftentimes the interior designer. It's, it's super important to get everybody to the table as early as possible. So there's cohesiveness and everybody's on the same page. Mm. And then you dive into it and you really start from the site work up. You design the civil drawings, you design the architecturals, you design the MEPs. What's an MEP? Sorry. MEPs, mechanical, electrical, and plumbing. Ah, okay. Okay. So you get your design together. You get your permits not far after, and then you start. And and, uh, you're going to have site work, and and you're going to have dry wells and leaching pools. You're going to have sanitary lines if you can hook up to a sewer sewer treatment plant. Um, You might just have leaching pools. It depends on where you are in the country. And from there, you do your foundation. I don't know what a leaching pool is. So a leaching pool is basically a... A pool that goes into the ground where your sanitary waste gets dispersed into the ground. Mm. I so if you, don't, if you don't have the ability to hook up to a sewer treatment plant, your you know, sanitary will get dispersed into the ground. Ah, okay. That's interesting. So from there you're gonna you're gonna build your foundation. You're gonna you're gonna pour your footings. Uh you're going to build your foundation. You might have a basement. You might just do what's what's called a slab on grade where your concrete is just sitting flat on the land. And then and then you go into your structure. Tons of different kinds of structures. There's wood framing, there's steel, there's masonry, and depending on the design, you know, you're going to you're going to put that up. From there, you're going to put you know, your joist up. The joists are going to hold up your roof. You put your roofing on, and now you can get to the good stuff inside. You can get to your your framing for walls. You can get to, you know, your electrical work and, and your, your roughing, whether that's plumbing or electrical or 
HVAC, but because you've now, you've got a roof over your head and hopefully some, some walls, whether, whatever the walls are made up, you're watertight and you can get to, you know, the guts of the building. Yeah. And that's where, you know, somebody like you, an interior designer, that's when, you know, the building starts to get some real character on the inside. Right. And that's usually when we're brought in, you know, at affordable interior design, people fold us in much later than I think they would at a traditional high-end design firm. Because at a high-end design firm, they're perhaps taking a percentage of the project or it just looks a little bit different than a flat rate service where we come in and kind of consult almost. So it's really not something we have experience with. What part, because that whole journey sounds very challenging, Devin. What part of that is the most challenging? I think the site work and the foundation, once you get that into the ground, everything else will come relatively easier. What do you mean by site work? So those leaching pools uh. and the foundation, your, your concrete, setting that foundation oftentimes is it's the first critical path of the project. And if you yep. can get through that with minimal headaches, putting up the building is, is not that bad. It's kind of like a business, right, Devin? Like building that foundation, deciding on, you know, those fundamental softwares you'll use or the ways you're going to work. It's perhaps the grunt work, but once you get that laid, you can kind of riff off of it and it feels lighter and maybe even more interesting. Absolutely. It's it's definitely like starting a business where the beginning is the, the tough work, the grunt work. And then once you get going a little bit, it starts to look beautiful. And, you know, along that journey, I would imagine that there's so much that comes up. What's something that would be surprising along that build journey? Where do you see the most surprises or what's surprising for you about that? So like any project, unfortunately, there are going to be change orders. Uh, a lot of times I see what's drawn on the plans might not necessarily work in the field. Mm. I, I always say that architects and interior designers should have a real good understanding of field work, whether they maybe spend some time working in the field um, or, or not, but just have a, a good understanding of the field because oftentimes there's going to be deviations and you're going to have to quickly make decisions in order to keep up with the project schedule. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't want to hold it back, but when you discover something isn't going to work, you have to pivot really quickly or else it's going to hold up everybody else. Correct. The last thing you want is, you know, 20 carpenters standing there waiting for an answer, wasting time because time is money in this world. Yeah, Right. And in terms of how you fit into that now, I mean, it sounds like you've worn lots of different hats in the company since you joined, but where do you fit into that process now? So in 2016, I, I became the CEO of the company. Um, we really, at that point, my focus was on modernizing the company. 
we are huge believers in leveraging technology to better efficiencies. Mm-hmm. And so we focused on uh, digitizing all of our paperwork. Uh, we put together, you know, a bunch of softwares that implement with, with one another. And I was almost rebuilding the company. I like to say we're a 46-year-old company, but we're a startup with a, with a brand. Um, so we, we really, I was focusing on modernizing the processes uh, and getting people comfortable with those processes. Nothing's worse than implementing a technology that's used incorrectly. So it took a lot of time. It took a lot of resources. But now my day to day is really a lot of business development and uh, a lot of putting out fires. I have great project managers, great superintendents, great back office. But sometimes I do have to come in just to make a decision and to move things forward. Uh, but, But I definitely wear a lot of hats. At the end of the day, my job is really business development and and growth and vision of the company uh and you know working on the goldman program with you i'm focusing more on that vision and and uh i'm enjoying it yeah it can be hard to extract yourself from the day-to-day and just have your sole role be as visionary you know that that's kind of an aspirational place to get to and, and i think you know it's achievable but I had a question going back to that about those fires. Like I have fires that come up in my business, right? And of course it's not, thankfully it's not real literal fires uh, for the most part. But what is an example of like tough situations you're put in day to day that you have to solve just kind of on a micro level? It could be as little as, you know, somebody is not showing up and, we have to get them on site. It could be as large as, God forbid, uh, there's an accident on on a job. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the worst. And luckily, knock on, on wood, we don't have that really often. But the reality is it is construction. And, and unfortunately, sometimes that does happen. Uh, but it, it could be a plethora of things. I really like to leave it up to my team to to take care of those stuff and and handle those things. But sometimes I do have to get called in. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Are you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. Just reverting back to kind of how you work 
with interior designers. So you mentioned that oftentimes an interior designer is there from the very beginning. Who's choosing that person? Is it someone that's on your team? Is it someone the client brings in? Is it someone who works with the architect? What does that look like usually? So when we're doing construction management and general contracting work for a third party and we're building for somebody else, oftentimes they're the ones who are bringing the interior designer to the table. We may make suggestions early on. Maybe the architect may make a suggestion early on. But ultimately, it's the property owner or the building owner's decision on which interior design firm to go with. When we're developing, however, we're building for ourselves. So now we have the opportunity to put that team together and we have that final say on which interior design firm is going to be best fit for this project. And is there an interior designer on every project or are there projects where it's not a thing? There's a lot of projects where they don't have an interior designer. I like think that, team. yeah. So, so we're building a, a firehouse right now, and all of the materials that are going into that firehouse are really picked out and specced by the architect. Um, but on the other hand, we're building a hedge fund right now in Manhattan, and they want you know that real wow factor. So they've yeah. brought in the architect and they've brought in the interior designer. And the interior designer really has good insight on what materials to use and really work at giving it that wow factor. And so their ideas kind of come into play right after that foundation is laid, like they're instantly giving that feedback on what type of electrical and outlets going where. What does that look like when they're involved early on like that? Early on, they're really going through, you know, different types of tile that you can use, different types of flooring that you can use, maybe paint colors and, and working with the owner of the building to get a good feel on what they want this building to feel like. I feel like every building has life to it. And so what kind of life are we going to give to this this building? So... You know, in the beginning, it's really just materials, color schemes, etc. cetera. Uh, but then it, it can get into, you know, more more detail on, uh, okay, on these windowsills, are we going with uh, a, a quartz or a corian? Or, or are we going to go with, with a wood windowsill? Or, um, you know, where are we going to have these accent walls? We've got the color scheme now, but which walls do we want accent walls on? So you guys are even involved in maybe painting the space. Absolutely. When uh -huh. we deliver a building, it is ready to be moved in. Oh, that's cool. And, you know, oftentimes, like I said, I'm folded in later in the process. I'm kind of a, a new addition to the team. And you get different kind of reactions from the contractor side. Some people are more or less excited to see you. What is a way that a designer, you know, could either tarnish that relationship with a construction team 
or enhance that relationship? What are some best practices for designers when working with you guys? So I think the most important thing always is, is transparency and communication. Uh, I like to say that nobody's perfect, but if you have the ability to talk through things, you're going to figure out the best solution for, for anything. Um, I also like to say, leave your ego at the door. Uh, sometimes designers will take offense if we suggest, you know, an alternative material or, uh, and designers with egos can really tarnish the relationship very quickly. So being open to feedback, being open to changing your design to better the project, maybe in a practical way, even if it doesn't better it in an aesthetic way. Absolutely. At the end of the day, it needs to be practical. Practical. Uh, sometimes there are significant cost restraints and you have to deliver a building within the budget. And if that means, you know, not bringing in tile from Italy and sourcing your tile locally, you do what you have to do. Yeah. Because I find that going in and being open and, and viewing it as a collaboration, even if ultimately you were hired to present a design, I've found that that can engender just good morale, you know, because even if I'm just working with the contractors at the tail end of a project, they might want to refer you again, or they might want to say things to the client about you. You know, I loved working with X firm or she's making it really difficult, right? And that, you know, can impact relationships, reputations. You don't want it to seem problematic, but you also want to advocate for it to be aesthetically beautiful. So it is kind of a tightrope walk, you know? It's definitely a tightrope, but as you said, keeping a good morale is the best thing for any project. Are there going to be times where you might butt heads? Absolutely. This is life. Nothing's perfect. But getting through those things and, and moving forward and delivering a building that everybody, and, and most importantly, the client or the owner is happy with, it leaves everybody off on a, on a good feeling. And doing right by others leads to, you know, more relationships and more projects. You got to create a buzz and, and uh, you know, companies help each other and they, they feed off each other and they develop work together and they, they, they refer each other. You, you got to have people in your corner at the end of the day. You, can, you can't take on the world by yourself. Yep. And making each other look good. You know, there'll be times when I definitely question the placement of an outlet or a light switch or the way a door swings open. Right. And you want to share that, you could see how it would deeply impact the furniture positioning. And it's all about the way you word it, you know, finding those places to really spotlight everything that the contractor done that's, has done that's awesome. And then finding that way to suggest, you know, do you think we could make it swing this way? How would that impact what's happening in the hallway or whatever? So I find going in with the attitude of curiosity rather than saying this has to change like is there any way we could move it this way what would that do so that's kind of how i've approached um some construction projects when i've had some different ideas 
because there may be things I'm not seeing, reasons I don't know just quickly, right? Where why they're doing that. Yeah, you have to work together. They're demanding something is is never going to work in your favor. At the end of the day, you have to respect each other and and you might have a difference of opinions on how a door might swing or even more so somebody might have clearly made a mistake. Don't air out the dirty laundry in public, you right. know. I'm a, I'm a big closed door person, you know. If somebody makes a mistake, that's okay. We're we're human. We're going to figure out a way to fix it, but you don't have to throw people under the bus. Work with them. Yep. And you know, going back a little bit to those types of buildings, talking about apartment buildings, what are some things, because that's really primarily where we as a company work. We work in a ton of apartments. I'd say I'd say 40% of our business is apartments, 40% homes, 20% commercial spaces. So in apartment buildings, what are some unique challenges or unique things you keep in mind when putting those up? So the layout of the apartment is, is super critical in the fact that once it's built, you need to operate it efficiently. So where are the rooms going? Where's your egress going? Egress being, if God forbid there's a fire, how do you get out of the building? How far are you from the elevator? Where's your amenity space going to be? Is it going to be on the top floor? So you're overlooking a beautiful river or, or, or a beautiful city? Or is it going to be on the bottom floor where, you know, the near the doorman? Mm-hmm. Um, really laying out the layout of the building is is really critical to the operations of the building. And, and at the end of the day, in an apartment, you know, you need to be as efficient as possibly so that you can make money at the end of the day. People are, are building buildings to either sell or to operate and to lease out. And, and you, you need something that works for the person living there and the owner. Right, right. Something that'll add exponential value. Is it more valuable to have a penthouse that has the amazing view? Or is it more valuable to the building as a whole to have the pool have that amazing view? Right. Definitely, definitely. And and these days more so amenities, amenities, amenities. Really? Is, so that's a shift you've seen in the industry? For sure. Uh, people want to live in a community where um, maybe they have a rooftop patio with barbecues and a fire pit, or maybe they have uh, like a, a shared work station in the building where you can really work from home in the virtual world that we're, we're living in, but not stay in your apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, amenities are critical to this to, to attracting uh, renters and, and you got to have amenities in your apartment buildings these days. So are you saying that more so the amenities are getting that great view in the prime placement or, you know, now in this day and age, or is it more so those luxury apartments or both? I think you're going to see a little bit of both. I think if you're, if you're putting penthouses in it, you know, they're going to have the top floor. That's just, you're going to get the, mo- the most money for those. So those are going to be on the top, but you might have the gym overlooking the city, you know, four 
stories below and it might not be on that first floor. So uh, it's important to have amenities in general where you put it in the building. Uh, it, it's really up to the developer. Right, right. And so you're kind of just following orders at that point. You're not necessarily a part of that decision. I can make suggestions, but if I'm not writing the check, it's up to the developer. And you know, just real quick, I am a huge pool person. Are there rules in terms of where a pool needs to go in an apartment building? So every municipality has their own set of rules and codes. That'll change based on where the building or where the property is located. Sometimes you can put it uh, in a basement. Sometimes you could put it on the roof. Uh, it really depends on what are the local laws and what are the local codes of the municipality that the property is sitting in. Got it. So it kind of comes down to zoning and just, you know, area by area regulations. There's not like a contractor best practice regarding pools. Correct. Area by area. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I'm a pool fanatic. Um, I love my pool. Yeah. I don't have a pool. I've never lived in an apartment building that has a pool. But the minute I walk into a client's apartment building and I smell chlorine, like a part of me just lights up like a Christmas tree. I'm like, is there a pool in here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to swim in it. I don't know why I even asked, but I'm like, oh, is there a pool in this building? Um, so there we go. Well, Devin, I really appreciate you being with us today. You know, as a designer, I am interested in all facets of construction, especially things I don't know that much about. You know, it's just a deeper way to get to know the industry. So I really appreciate you giving us this insight from the ground up. And I appreciate you having me. You are amazing. I'm a big fan. I love your podcast. And it is such an honor for me to be on with you today. Well, thanks, Devin. Now, you know, people are going to get real excited about you because you have given us such great information and insight. Where can they find you if they want to hear more? So you can go to our website, thekulkagroup.com, T-H-E-K-U-L-K-A group.com. From there, you'll, you'll be able to see the construction work we've done, the development work we've done, and even our interactive media platform. Uh, so thekulkagroup.com, anybody can check us out. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Devin. And uh, I can't wait to see more of your projects. Maybe one day even swim in one of your apartment building pools. Let I would love training. that. I would <laughs> love that. All right. Well, have a great afternoon and thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Bye. You've asked for it and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. 
Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out. Follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.